Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. And be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our look at the prophecy of Habakkuk. In the previous episode, we read Habakkuk's complaint and God's reply. Habakkuk had basically asked God, What are you doing? Uh, the world's falling apart, evil people are prospering, and you're doing nothing. And God's response was, I am at work. I'm actually raising up the Chaldeans, who are a horrible and evil people. We kind of stopped there, and we talked about what we can learn about how we approach God with our questions and and things that God reveals to us that may not always make sense. But in this episode, we're going to look at Habakkuk's response to what God had just said about raising up the Chaldeans. So let's begin by reading Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 12. If you have a Bible with you, you can follow along while I read. Habakkuk says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to See evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his nets. He gathers them with his dragnets. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnets, for by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his nets and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. When God tells Habakkuk what he's doing, that he's raising up the Chaldeans as an instrument of judgment, Habakkuk makes a proclamation. He basically says, God, that's not right. And he lets us know this in about four different places. When we read verse 12, he says, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One. He's basically saying, you're not acting like God's supposed to act. This doesn't look like holy behavior to me. This doesn't look like the Lord of the universe doing what he should be doing. Then in the very next verse, for a few verses, he basically proclaims that the bad guys should never win. It doesn't matter what kind of judgment Israel deserves. The bad guys shouldn't be the one that beat us. Then in verse 17, as Habakkuk has used the metaphor of fishermen dragging fish out of the sea to describe the Chaldeans, he says, is he then to keep on emptying his nets and mercilessly killing nations forever? Basically, God, aren't you going to do the right thing? And then in verse one of chapter two, Habakkuk says, I'm going to my watch post. I'm going to station myself on the tower. I'm going to look out and say what God will say to me concerning my complaint. 
He's basically saying, God, I'm waiting on you to do the right thing. I hope that we don't look at Habakkuk and think, I would never talk to God that way, because we certainly do. We get frustrated with our circumstances, and we wonder where God is, and we question when he's going to fix it and if he will fix it at all. But as we said in the last episode, God is big enough to handle our complaints and our questions, and so God has a response for Habakkuk. Let's pick up the prophecy in chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on the tablets, so he may run, whoever reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He is never enough. He gathers for himself all the nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors certainly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations and all the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and the violence of earth to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off the many peoples. You have fortified your life for the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your feel of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will occupy your glory. The violence done in Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrify them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. There is no breath in it, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. As Habakkuk sits to watch God's response, God responds by telling Habakkuk to make sure he writes down everything that happens so that people can be prepared because it hasn't unfolded yet. And they need to be prepared to flee areas where the Chaldeans may come. But there is also a warning to the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are told that 
If you continue in your arrogance, if you only do this for your own self-indulgence, you will fail. At some point, the very people that you oppress will rise up against you and destroy you. In short, if you don't acknowledge that it is God who has elevated you, if you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. So let's look a little more closely at God's response as what he tells Habakkuk and see what principles are available to us as we look to trust God when it doesn't make sense. The very first observation we should make, I think, comes from verse 14, where God says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. God's reply is basically, Habakkuk, this is not about you. It's about me. God is seeking to make his glory known. As these things unfold, Habakkuk's worrying about, uh, why is this happening to me? God is saying, this isn't about you. I can use you. You can be helpful in my purposes, but this is not about you. It is about the Lord of creation, the one who is sovereign over all the kings of the earth. And yes, there is judgment that's coming on Israel, but there is also an opportunity for the Chaldeans to acknowledge me as Lord. We also see at the beginning of God's response that he wants these things written down and he wants Habakkuk to share them with Israel because God is always teaching. We need to make sure that we're willing to learn the lessons where they are. And God is always bringing things about in our lives that should help us understand better his character and what he wants us to do. There are opportunities for us to join him in his work. And when we take them, we learn more and more about God and are better and better prepared to spend eternity with him. We also see, according to verse three, that when God says something, it will happen. He says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God is affirming his faithfulness. God is always faithful. God always does what he says he's going to do. There are a couple of things we need to understand about that, though, that God is always on time. If it's not happening when we want it to, it's our timing that's off. God will do things when they need to be done. God is always on time. Paul says as much in the New Testament when he says at exactly the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. He didn't do it too early. He didn't do it too late. He did it at exactly the right time. Israel had been waiting hundreds of years for the Messiah, but Jesus came at exactly the right time. There are a lot of people who think that Jesus should be here now to set things right. Jesus will return at exactly the right time. And if he waits, as we talked about last week, we need to understand that he may be showing us mercy. It may be an opportunity for us to get our lives right so that when the time does come, we're prepared. Also, another point to God's faithfulness is that nothing escapes God's notice. As God has described the Chaldeans, he has described them accurately and fully. They are the Chaldeans that Habakkuk recognizes. They are those evil people. Habakkuk and Israel are suffering right now, and God has noticed that. The world at this time is in chaos because of the fear and anxiety brought to bear by the Chaldeans. God has noticed all of that and acknowledges all of that in his responses to Habakkuk. 
God is faithful. We can count on him to do what he says he will do. We also see in God's response that he is a righteous and just God. We are told in God's response here that he is going to set everything right. Everything that Habakkuk thinks is messed up is messed up. He's not always attributing blame in the right places or counting successes the way they ought to be counted, but he is aware that things aren't right, and God lets him know he will set things right. That's what we're told judgment is all about. There is a coming day of the Lord when God will set everything right. It has begun with new creation in people who trust Jesus enough to follow in his footsteps. These new creation beings are beginning to form what will ultimately be a completely purified people where all evil has been removed from their existence and they get to live eternity basking in the glory of God the Father. God will set everything right, but right is not always what we want. Habakkuk is upset that God's not going about these things in the right way, but God lets him know that he is the one that determines what's right. Because he is God, by definition, what he does is right, and we have a responsibility to respond appropriately to it. Right doesn't mean that it's going to be what we want, and right is always better than we imagine. If you look at verse 17, it says, The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and the violence of earth to the cities of all who dwell in them. God says all of these things that you have done to other people are going to come back on you. Habakkuk just wanted them to stop. God is going to bring judgment. God is going to make them understand that the way they went about things was wrong. What God will do to set things right is better than Habakkuk can imagine in that moment. So when we find ourselves in circumstances that don't make sense, when we're questioning God about why things aren't better or different or the way we want them to be, we need to be reminded what God shares with Habakkuk here, that Habakkuk, this is not about you. It's about me. Part of Habakkuk's inability to understand that God was actually bringing glory to himself might have been because he had an unhealthy view of God's work. He, he didn't realize exactly what it was God was doing because he had an unrealistic view of himself. He thought he deserved to have things a certain way, even if they would have thwarted God's ultimate plan. We need to understand in our time that an unhealthy view of God's work often comes from an unrealistic view of ourselves. There are a few things that we need to be made aware of in that regard. One is that our sin is not justified because others sin differently than us or they sin more than us. This is part of Habakkuk's problem. Those Chaldeans were worse than Israel. Why were they having success? We're not as bad as them. Why don't we have success? But what God was calling Israel to was purity, not relativity. He he wasn't asking them to be better than the Chaldeans. He was asking them to be the people he designed them to be. When we sin, God is disappointed. God wants us to be better. He created us to be better, and he empowers us with his spirit to be better. So when we sin, it doesn't matter that others sin more than us or 
others sin differently than us in ways that we think are worse. What matters is that we have sinned, and that has to be corrected. And if we don't humble ourselves before the Lord, he will humble us. Also, when we're focused on the sinfulness of others, we fail to see our own sin. Notice that Habakkuk does not do what so many other prophets do, what David does in different places in Scripture. He does not confess the sin of Israel. He only points out the sin of the Chaldeans. Because he's focused on the sin of the Chaldeans, he can't acknowledge the sin that is in Israel that God is determined to take care of. In our lives, if we are focused on what other people are doing wrong and we don't acknowledge that God is calling us to something better, if we don't acknowledge the sin in our own lives, God will reveal it, and sometimes in very painful ways. This doesn't happen because God wants us to experience pain. It happens as a result of our own stubbornness, our hard-headedness, our hard-heartedness, as God continues to break through because we've been so callous to our sins, sometimes the consequences of that are very painful. We also see that God tells Habakkuk, the righteous live by faith. This is a phrase that's repeated in Isaiah, and it's repeated throughout the New Testament. The righteous live by faith. Habakkuk is making a point that Israel is more righteous than the Chaldeans. God says, is that really true? Because the righteous live by faith. The righteous don't just look at other bad situations and say, at least I'm not as bad as them. The righteous trust God in every situation. So if he asks them to do things that don't make sense, that seem unfair, that aren't always obvious in their benefits, we still do them. We trust God enough to do the things that he's asked us to do. The righteous live by faith. And finally, I think we see in God's response that if we don't recognize the glory of God in his mercy, we will see it in his might. Israel had been brought out of Egypt, had been shown mercy, had been given the land of Israel. But once there, they became complacent and even turned to other gods. God had been merciful to them, and they didn't acknowledge him. They didn't recognize his glory in all of that. They took advantage of it. When they didn't recognize the glory of God in that mercy, they were then able to see it in his might. As the nations around them were jockeying for position and God was working to use those things for his purposes, Israel came to see the might of God. And we know that as they go into captivity and return, that at least in some way they came to recognize him in that might. Today, we have a choice to make. Are we going to acknowledge that no matter how uncomfortable our situations are, God has been merciful to us, that God will continue to be merciful and gracious to us if we trust him, if we are righteous and live by faith. If we don't make that choice, the choice is to wait until he shows himself in some mighty way. It may be some way that humbles us in this time, or it may be on a final judgment day when it's too late as we try to understand God's work, as we try to make sense of it, and we work to trust God even when it makes no sense, we need to realize the times it doesn't make sense may come from a time when we have an unrealistic expectation of ourselves. Thank you for listening. 
You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.